This is the Marketing Podcast Network. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Lena Churn. Lena is an author who has had her crime fiction published in Mystery Weekly, The Marlboro Review, The Bellingham Review, Rhino, The Collagist, Black Fox Literary Magazine, and The Coil. She's a Pitch Wars alum and joins me today to talk about her debut novel, Play the Fool. Here to talk about that is Lena Chern. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Lena. Thank you very much. Great to be here. I'm excited to have you here. I can't wait to hear more about your debut novel. But before we get there, tell me, where does your story as an author begin? Um, I would say my story begins at a point when I had kind of given up on having a career as a writer at all. Um, I think like many writers, I had kind of been drawn to writing as a kid, um, but just I'd kind of struggled with it my whole life. I had never really been able to kind of figure out my own process. Um, and uh, I had a lot of anxiety about it and a lot of perfectionism. I think maybe what was going on was that I didn't really give myself a chance to kind of practice, which as everybody knows is the way you learn to write. Um, and later in life when I had kids and was working full time, um, I think my my writing pretty much stopped. And so all of that kind of changed when um, my son was actually diagnosed with autism and um, his care kind of got to take up more of my time than I had working full time. So I ended up having to leave work. Um, once he kind of went to school, I found myself with a little bit more free time. And so I started to pick up these freelance writing gigs. And one particular one that came across my desk was um ghostwriting a series of erotic paranormal detective stories um, about a woman who sees dead people and helps her cute FBI boyfriend solve crimes. So uh, it, it, was, it was a very silly assignment, but somehow it kind of broke open the whole problem of writing for me. Um, I had to do it fast. I had to do it on a deadline and I couldn't be too precious about the quality. So basically once that all of those worries about making it perfect from the first go kind of went away. I found that I was actually having fun writing for the first time. I was I was doing the thing that I had always kind of dreamed of doing, staying up late to write, um, just not being able to tear myself away. And to be honest, when I was a kid, that was kind of my fantasy about writing. When I fantasized about being a writer, I didn't think about, you know, fancy book tours or being rich or famous or anything like that. My goal was to 
to have that sort of proverbial obsession with writing, to be able to sit down and just have so much fun doing it that you, that you couldn't tear yourself away. And for the first time, that's exactly what I was doing. Um, and so once that assignment was kind of over, thank goodness, the, the writing was not great. Um, I realized that maybe I could actually try something like that for myself. And so I, you know, with the overconfidence of the amateur, I said, I'm going to write my own novel. And I started writing a novel and that was about eight years ago. That's how long it took me to finally get this novel into some kind of shape where someone might want to read it. So I have to ask, what were you doing before um, you stepped away from work for a little while? What was your career? Uh, I actually, I had all these sort of writing adjacent jobs that were fun, but they weren't they weren't what I consider to be quote unquote real writing. I was mostly working in games and entertainment. My first job was actually working for a um, casual games company that made this trivia game called You Don't Know Jack. It was this sort of irreverent uh, I, trivia I, game. And I know I know that game very well. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I I wrote for that game for a long time. And then eventually that game kind of got licensed for a TV show. So I wrote a, a I was working for a while on the TV show version of a game that that company made. That was a very interesting experience. Um, eventually I started working for a company that made educational toys. Um, so these were all, these were all jobs that were, that were fun and creative. And I tended to work with a lot of really cool, creative people. And I, I enjoyed that, but I always felt like I wasn't really um, concentrating on my, my writing, my yeah. writing kind of, languished in the corner while I was doing all these other things. And so um, it was, it was sort of a accidental set of circumstances that finally led me to kind of concentrate on my own writing full time. Right. I mean, maybe they were accidental circumstances, or maybe it was the universe kind of pushing you where you needed to be. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, how did you get the gig writing these erotic? Well, how did you what did you call them again? I, I they were erotic paranormal detective stories. Erotic paranormal detective stories. So I'm yes. picturing, who was that? Um, what was that show, The Ghost Whisperer, with, um, oh my gosh, she was from Party of Five. Yes, uh, yes, yes. It was, it I'm was picturing right a very naughty version of this. You know? that's, that's exactly what it was like. They, I right. think it was even comped that way. So yeah, that's what I that's what I was doing. Um, <laughs> And, and then was that a genre you'd ever written in before? I mean, I mean, how, how did you go from, you know, from where you were to to, to writing this very specific uh, genre? That's that's a really good question. No, it was not a genre that I'd, I'd ever written in before. It actually wasn't even a genre that I was reading when I was growing up. I, I, I read a ton, but I was mostly reading science fiction. I was a huge science fiction nerd. And so I was very well read in, in that in that genre, but I had never really been all that interested in mysteries or crime fiction or anything like that. Um, but having written these stories, um, I realized that um, mysteries are a very, a very sort of quick and ready structure for a story. So I kind of almost use it as a crutch. I thought, well, um, I had some experience, I had some experience kind of crafting a mystery. So I would try to do it on a larger scale. And then eventually, of course, actually right around the same time that I was doing this, um, I had discovered Elmore Leonard, oh, who, yeah. who was just like, I I went down a rabbit hole and read everything he wrote. And it was like a thunderbolt went off and it was like, this is what I want to write. I just, I loved his combination of um, 
accessibility and sophistication. I love his sense of humor. I love that sort of short, quick conversational voice. And I thought if I, if I write a book, this is, this is what I want it to be like. Yeah. I mean, it's a, he's a master of the craft. Uh, no, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what can you share with us about play the fool? Uh, well, play the fool, I guess, is my attempt to rip off Elmore Leonard um, in, in to add, add my own touch to it. It's I would I would call it kind of a lighthearted mystery about um, a young kind of cynical tarot reader who has sort of lost her way in life or hasn't or feels like she hasn't really started her life. She's sort of given the world a try and not really achieved much of anything. She has this sort of overbearing family that expects certain things from her. She expects certain things herself. Um, and she has this sort of dead end job at the mall where she meets a very interesting woman named Marley, who is sort of everything that she wants to be. She's confident. She's kind of got things figured out. Um, and she's the only one who sort of encourages her to do the one thing that she's kind of good at, but doesn't take seriously, which is reading tarot cards. And so when Marley dies, she's Katie. My protagonist is very motivated to figure out what happens to her. And of course, through this process, she figures out that the things that make her a good tarot reader also make her a good amateur sleuth. Well, there you go. I know we don't want to give too, too much away because uh, people need to buy this without it being spoiled. However, I, I, I'm i curious to know the tarot card aspect. Do you have familiarity with tarot cards or how, how did you uh, how did they become part of the story? I, I do have some familiarity with it. I I, f- I feel like I'm going to get this question a lot when I'm when I'm talking about this book, and the answer is always going to disappoint people. I do know the basics of how to read them, um, and I actually, f- for a while, attempted to sort of make a go of kind of doing it doing it for money, just not not all that seriously. Um, but I don't really. I'll say this: I'm not as good with them as my protagonist is. <laughs> She's sort of a pro. Um, but I, my interest in them is sort of more academic than practical. I feel like the thing that really fascinates me about them is um, they they represent what I find most fascinating about people, which is that which is their tendency to create stories, create narratives out of things that happen to them. Um, life is, I believe, life is pretty random, and in order to make sense of it, we need to figure out some some framework to make it make sense to us. And people have been doing this forever and ever and ever, both on a, a large scale, you know, figuring out mythologies for why the sun goes across the sky and things like that, to a, a more personal scale. Things happen to us and we need to understand them in some way. So I feel like tarot cards are just, are kind of like a microcosm of life. They're they're basically um, a set of dice with our favorite storytelling tropes illustrated all over them. And they come up randomly, just like life does. And we read them in order to create some kind of meaning for ourselves. Right. Some kind of meaning, some, some way to make sense of the world, like the, the randomness of, of the world. Um, but are, are they meant to predict the future or, or really just give you a sense of, I don't want to say your place in the world, but um, kind of, well, maybe it is, maybe it is kind of making sense of the madness that we experience. Um, I personally don't, use them to predict the future and i don't really think they do and i think i i think of them as as very much um a tool to kind of get in touch with what you're already thinking um and 
I and I I this I think this sort of practical attitude is what I try to give my protagonist as well. She doesn't really believe that they're magic or divine or anything either. Um, she kind of, as I do, she believes that they're just basically they're they're a way to sort of jog yourself out of the patterns that you're already in and give yourself something new to think about that might put yourself more in touch with what what might already be in there in your subconscious. So you mentioned this was uh, eight years in the process, right? Years in the making, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. With, with long pauses somewhere in there, I, I, I started off, um, I kind of had a draft of it for a while. Then I kind of gave up because believe it or not, writing a novel is difficult and I didn't really know how to do it. Um, I tried writing some shorter things to kind of get myself a little bit more primed, a little bit more used to used to finishing something. I, I wrote a novella that eventually was picked up by a smaller independent publisher. And that kind of gave me um, confidence to kind of go back to my old manuscript, which I had shelved and restarted again. And I think I, I really, really started working on it seriously, maybe about two or three years ago. Um, I really, I went over it again and again and again. I took it to a writing group that I was part of. And eventually I had something that I felt was ready to, to shop to agents. It wasn't, which I found out later, but um, through many, many rewrites, it eventually got to a place where folks were interested in reading it. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I know, I know a lot of people who listen to the show are aspiring authors themselves. So I always like to think about words of advice to, to give them. Um, but just hearing you talk, um, you know, it's not necessarily a linear process. You know, you can start and stop. Um, you could start something else. You can come back to it. You can think you're done with it and then realize you're far from done. Um, I guess the important thing is the persistence to keep coming back to it and to keep kind of making it better. What What did you find um, helped make make it better for you? Was it the writing group? Was it feedback from agents? What What was really helpful during you know, that this time where you're kind of getting it ready to, to put in front of other people. I think the thing that was, that's, that was most important for me was the thing that kind of broke open the whole process for me to begin with, which was that it's important to have fun while you're doing it because really that's the only thing that's going to motivate you to keep working. Um, the problem that I was having was that I, didn't know my own process well enough to figure out where the fun kind of came in. And I just have to be very clear that I, one of the, one of the reasons that I was eventually able to do it had the time and resources to find that sort of fun of writing was that I was able to leave my full-time job and I had a partner who was able to support me and in our family of four. And that's, that's a huge, huge factor. I feel like I was very privileged and a lot of people don't really have that sort of bandwidth of time and resources. So I, I was very, very lucky there. Um, but really that's, you know, all along I'd been trying to, I, I had tried everything. I tried every kind of external influence, writing groups, writing partners, setting deadlines for myself, um, reading craft books. And I felt like none of that was as helpful as just letting myself or figuring out how to kind of let the pleasure of writing come out because really that's, I feel like for me, that's, that's the best reward and really the only the reward because in this, unfortunately in this world, there aren't too many other 
boards. So if you, if you're not enjoying writing, there's really not much other reason to do it. Yeah. I mean, because it's, it's certainly not for the monetary outcome, um, <laughs> which I know it's a big disappointment for most people, right? They think, Oh my gosh, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to be at easy street, but it's, um, okay. I mean, it, to say labor of love, it's, it's not a misnomer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like that's really all there is. And I, I think that if there, if there is anything, if there was any advice I would give to aspiring authors, it's go easy on yourself and don't, don't beat yourself up if you're not meeting some kind of um, ideal in your head of, of what you should be doing. Don't, don't forget. I feel like there's this sort of mythology of writing where you, that I ascribed to as well when I was, when I was a kid and a young person that I felt like I should have been good right off the bat. Um, I should have been, because I had a, maybe a little bit of talent with words, I felt like I should be writing things that were perfect and publishable immediately. And I wasn't giving myself, it's sort of a cliche now in the writing world where you have to write some things that are bad before you can write something good. And I would put it a little bit more positively. I would say that everything you write is practice. Everything you write, even if it's not perfect, is a stepping stone towards that eventual good writing. So be patient with yourself and give yourself give yourself the opportunity to experiment. You know, we wouldn't expect a piano player to sit down and play Beethoven's whatever immediately without first going through all the steps of learning to play piano. Well, I think people miss people kind of don't think of writing that way because everybody technically has the ability to write, but the fact is that good writing is a skill like any other and you need to you need to give yourself time to acquire it and, and, think, to, and to fail. I think Beethoven's whatever is his finest work. <laughs> I mean, just the way the chords and the melody and all that. Um, it took him time to get there. That's <laughs> right. Well, you know, it, it, it's true with like exercise too, right? So, you know, you know, you have to, you have to walk your first mile before you can run your first mile. And then, you know, it, mm -hmm. over time you get, you get better at it. It's, um, yeah. you know, it's, uh, but it, it's so true. Writing is a skill and it's a, uh, it's a muscle that has to be flexed and practiced and fed and, you know, all of that, all of that. I mean, how many other metaphors can I come up with? I don't know. Um, but also having fun with it, too. I mean, if you're writing something, you're not having fun with what you're writing, then, you know, I think it's probably time to put that down and maybe come up with another idea. Because, you know, if you're yeah. not giggling along the way or if you're not exciting yourself along the way of, you know, whatever it is you're writing, um, you know, that doesn't mean it's it's all going to be fun and games. I mean, there is going to be struggle. Um, you are going to get, you know, writer's block. I know some people say that they don't suffer from it or they never suffer from it because they do whatever. But um, I think many of us will get to a point in time where we just can't go any further for some reason until that, you know, reason gets addressed. But... Absolutely. And for me, I think that reason, that writer's block um, has to do with those anxieties, those fears of not doing not not writing something perfect, not writing something good. And I've kind of learned to, I think everybody, I feel like that, that term writer's block takes on this sort of immovable significance in people's lives sometimes. And so, and I, so I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to go to either side. Like, I don't, I don't feel like writer's block is completely insurmountable, but I also don't feel like um, I can say, oh, I never suffer from writer's block. I just think that occasionally for me, those anxieties kind of creep in but the more I've learned all along about my own process, the more I've figured out how to 
write through them or write around them or maybe put down whatever I'm doing that's maybe blocking me and do something else. Or for example, one tool I came up with for myself is when I get stuck, when I get that feeling of writer's block, I, um, I move to handwriting. For me, for whatever reason, handwriting is a way to, to kind of turn off that internal editor and just write and write and write. I even, I even like to um, almost like journal about what I'm thinking. And eventually that kind of unlocks whatever fear or anxiety is going on. And the journal kind of turns into the story. So, and, but that's just for me. And I feel like something, something important that I would say to anyone who's kind of um, trying to work through some of these anxieties is figure out what works for you. It could be going to handwriting. It could be going to a computer. It could be reading something. It could be taking a walk around the block, whatever it is that eventually lets you get back to that core of fun, of good feeling, do that. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you what it's going to be because it's very individual, but just, I'll just follow the fun, chase the fun. All the fun, chase the fun. Tell me, um, tell me about pitch wars. What, what is pitch wars? And, um, it sounds like you're an alum, so. <laughs> pitch wars sadly is no longer around, but pitch wars, it was around for, for 10 years and it was a mentorship program. Um, and there are plenty of others out there right now for, for writers who are looking for that kind of experience. Pitch Wars was pretty much responsible for me eventually connecting with my agent. Um, Pitch Wars was a mentorship program in which you basically, if you have, a, if you had a ready manuscript, you would apply, um, and it was it was sort of a contest. And the prize was to um, be mentored by a writer or a a pair of writers who are a little bit further on in the process, maybe they've been published or, or agented or something like that, and who would basically work with you intensively for a few months to get that manuscript into shoppable shape. And the end of the the end of that period was what they called a showcase for agents, in which you and your mentors would work up kind of a short pitch, um, put it on the put it on the internet, and agents would come and kind of look to see what, if anything, they wanted to, to, to represent, or maybe to talk to you about. And that was actually how I was connected with my agent. Oh, that's fantastic. I know that that's one of the things that is um, so incredibly challenging for first time authors to, you know, find representation. Um, Of course, agents are always looking for how big is your social media following? Um, What is your platform? And if this is your kind of first go around, it's, Probably not that big, um, unless you're some TikTok star. Um, I'm not, not getting I'm not getting TikTok vibes from you, uh, <laughs> Lena. Although I don't want to want to assume anything, but I don't know if I should um, take that as a compliment or not. But no I TikTok think, vibes here. Um, but it's 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 hard. I mean, and and it's it's um, I'm talking to. I just did uh, one of these with an aspiring author a few weeks ago who is going through the 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 pitching process, the querying process, and it's rejection, 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 and that's the norm. Um, you know, it, it for 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 many people, it's the norm. I shouldn't say for everybody, um, but so something like this, where you're kind of being mentored, you're being part of a community, um, you're getting that feedback, um, and then you're you're putting it into some kind of a marketplace or someplace where where somebody else can see it. Is I mean, that sounds like an invaluable resource. 
It was, it was very, it was, I, I really feel like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to kind of break through if it weren't for Pitch Wars. So I'm eternally grateful to them. They were, they were a wonderful community and they, they did a tremendous amount of work and really just lifted up a lot of, a lot of writers. So kudos yeah. to them. Well, I always like to get to know my guests a bit better through pop culture. So I'm curious, Lena, when you were growing up, what were some of your favorite things to watch on TV? Wow, that's a, that's an interesting question. I wouldn't say that they were all of that different from anything anyone else was watching. I, you know, when I was a kid, I loved Happy Days. Um, the, all those silly shows that were on around that time. Um, I think when I was a when I was a teenager, I think probably one of the most, the shows I was most attached to was Twin Peaks. Oh, when wow. I, that came out when I was in high school and it's just sort of, it, it kind of like revolutionized everything for me. I was, I was, uh, I was a kid who liked weird stuff and that was Twin Peaks was my favorite <laughs> that, for that, sure. That fit the bill. Um, I will tell you the, the girl I was dating in high school, um, junior year for Halloween dressed up as Laura Palmer. She put herself in a clear trash bag and glued sand to her face. Nice. Which was, nice. uh, you know, uh, well, that was, she was committed. I will we'll say that committed to, the, <laughs> to, to, to Twin Peaks. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah uh, it was, it was something. Definitely a cool show. Um, mm -hmm. X files. Did that creep into your life at all or no? Oh Yeah. Definitely. I watched all the, all that stuff when I was actually, when I was a kid, um, that was, I, I feel like the eight, sort of the mid eighties, there was a huge sort of resurgence of, um, interest in, in, in science fiction and science fiction shows and movies. And the two shows that I, that I couldn't wait to watch every week were, um, amazing stories Oh yeah, and yeah. The, the twilight zone, these sort of science fiction anthology shows. And a lot of them were actually, especially the Twilight Zone, there a lot of them were based on stories that I had read and already kind of recognized. So I was I was huge fans of anything like that. The the amazing stories that I think that was done by Steven Spielberg. I remember one, I think it was one of the earlier ones. It was called Hell Toupee. And it was a, literally about this toupee that that would go on people's heads and kill them. Like it was, I remember it was, it was insane, but I, I remember mm -hmm. it like clear as day. And then there was one, um, there was one, oh my gosh, it was a, it was like a world war two one where, uh, the, the bottom of the plane, the, the, the wheels of the plane, yes. um, the wheels. Were, yes. And then an artist, the guy drew. had had to drew it. And then all of a sudden the plane. Great TV. That was a very, it was a very special hour long episode that usually they were half an hour long, but that one was, uh, that one was, they, they made a big deal out of that one. I remember. That's right. Tonight on a very special, amazing <laughs> stories we have for you. Um, well, very cool. What about music? What did you like listening to growing up? Um, um, I think, I think when I was, uh, when I was a kid, I, I just listened to a lot of pop music. When I when I got to high school, I think I was very um, <laughs> I was very focused. At that point, I was wearing a lot of black. I, I really wanted to be sort of alternative, and I and I kind of wanted to listen to new wave music. But I, the fact was, I was I was secretly a closeted fan of like Poison and Bon Jovi and like all that like Guns and Roses, all that rock and sort of stuff. I didn't want to admit it to my friends, but that was the stuff that I really liked to listen to, like hair metal. 
Oh yeah. I, I'm a big fan. I listen to it to this day <laughs> with no qualms, no yep. qualms, not a guilty pleasure, just a pleasure, just a pleasure, just a pleasure. No, I love, I, I saw poison like right before the pandemic, probably the summer before the pandemic, they, they were playing with, um, cheap trick, uh, and it was a, just a fantastic show. Like it just a fun. It was fun. It was yeah. A fun. Yeah. Cheap Trick is great too. Oh, cheap, and it was funny because Cheap Trick opened for them. And I'm like, wait a minute. This is, mm. this doesn't seem right, <laughs> but you know, yeah, that's, that's how it is. Um, what about, you know, big lessons you've learned about yourself as a writer kind of going through, um, going through this eight year process for, for play the fool um, and your various detours along the way. What are some big lessons you've learned about yourself? Um, I think probably that it's, it's gotta, it's gotta go back to that, that fun, that pleasure. I just, I just realized that, um, it took me a long time to even realize exactly what my problem was, why I wasn't writing. And I kept making excuses. I don't have the time I'm working full time. I'm this, I'm that, but I just, I, I find that, um, if, if you want to write, um, you're, you're, you're going to find some way to do it. And that's, uh, and that might be easy for me to say right now. I want to be, I'm, I'm very, again, I'm very conscious of my own um, situation and how it's kind of allowed me to explore exactly what my process is. I I don't think I'm not the kind of person who can work three full-time jobs. There are people out there who do it, who work outside the home, run a house and a family, and also are, are, you know, managed to write a novel. I am not one of those people. Um, I can only work maybe two full-time jobs at a time tops. I, I, I don't have the attention span to concentrate on all those things. So again, I'm very lucky that I was able to kind of noodle around and find my find my process. But again, I think the the most important thing that I learned is that you really have to figure out what works for you. And that process is often circuitous and difficult. Um, but if you, if you do enjoy writing, even if you're only experiencing that, that pleasure in glimmers, just give yourself, give yourself time and room as much as you can, um, to follow that pleasure and figure out what it is about writing that gives you more of that pleasure, because that's going to be the thing that really motivates you to write. Um, no, no external circumstances are going to be able to do it. People, people often put their faith in deadlines and, excuse me, external motivators like that. But for me personally, none of that stuff has ever worked as well as just the pleasure of it. The fun. Yeah. So find the fun. Uh, Lena, where can people pick up, um, this new book of yours, play the fool? Um, eventually, um, when it comes out on March 28th, they will be able to pick it up anywhere books are sold. But right now it can be, it can be pre-ordered if you, um, the best, the most, the best, most central place to find it is on the Penguin Random House website. Um, if you search for my name, Lena Churn and play the fool, there is actually a handy dandy link there that allows you to pre-order it in at the retailer of your choice. Um, I always recommend people. Um, go to their local independent bookstore and actually on the Penguin, Penguin Random House website, there are links to Bookshop and IndieBound and um, websites like that that will help you help connect you with an independent bookstore. So I, I encourage everyone to 
pre-order it if they are interested in reading it. All right. And if people want to get in touch with you, Lena, um, do you have a website? Do you have social media handles you can share with us? I do. Um, my website is very simple. It's just lenachern.com. Well, I-N-A-C-H-E-R-N.com. Um, you can also find me on, find me very rarely on, on Twitter and Instagram and even LinkedIn. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> again, your, your uh, comment about the TikTok vibe kind of translates to other social media as well. I'm not a huge social media user. I kind of would rather spend that time writing, but I am on there for anyone who is looking. All right. Very good. Well, Lena, thank you for stopping by uncorking a story and letting me uncork yours. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.